As you uh, turn there, let me remind you, I have asked Pastor Mike Johnson to uh, speak next Sunday on one of our values. We have four values when I asked you first assembly, and one of the values is spirit empowerment. And it's interesting that Dan mentioned Acts 8, because we as a church are reading through the Bible, and we are right now in the book of Acts, and we are learning how we can be led of the spirit, how God can use us in signs and wonders. And uh, that empowerment comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Mike is going to speak next Sunday on a day that a lot of people are elevating evil and demonic spirits. We're going to elevate the authentic Holy Spirit of God. So Mike will be speaking next Sunday on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll be here. I know it will be an inspiration to you. We've been looking at Amos, this uh, obscure book in the Old Testament, kind of nestled in the middle of minor prophets. Remember, it was written 800 years before Jesus was born. Yet this little book has some timeless truths for us as people of God in Wenatchee, Washington, in the Wenatchee Valley, in the Upper Valley, in Malaga, all through North Central Washington. It has truths for us today in 2021. Even though we're living under the new covenant, we're living under the grace and mercy of God. We know that this book is full of doom and gloom. We've been in it for three weeks. We understand there's a lot of warnings to this group of people who claim to be God's people. They even claim to want to follow him, yet they had chosen greed over godliness. They had chosen prosperity over the needs of the poor. Much of what they did is what the church in America, unfortunately, has fallen into today. Now, God is a God of grace and a God is a God of mercy. But friends, God cannot overlook sin and wrongdoing. In our Bible study, our journey Bible study, last Wednesday night, Brother Johnson read a scripture out of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1.13, it says this, your eyes, meaning God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And we've got to remember that. We can't get so lost in the love and grace and forgiveness and mercy of God that we forget he is a just God. He cannot tolerate wrongdoing in our life. Now, I can't be responsible for my neighbor for my governor, for my legislator, for my wife, my children, but I can be responsible for myself. Now, Amos was a burden bearer. In fact, we learned his name means burden bearer. He wasn't a, you know, some kind of a high priest. He was a lowly shepherd who took care of fig trees on the side. And he lived in a time of a lot of prosperity, a lot of peace. But he had this burden. It was a burden that God had given him. And I want us to review. His burden was, if the people didn't shape up, there was going to be judgment. And we can categorize what we've learned so far into a couple categories. Number one, there was going to be judgment for corrupting worship. Making worship for something different than it really was. 
Number two, lack of care toward the poor and the weak. And number three, just not keeping the covenant laws. That's what judgment was coming to the people for. But I want to remind you, we're not at the end of the book yet. But I want to remind you, friends, judgment is never God's last word. It's a warning because he loves us so much. Because God is merciful. I want you to say that with me today. God is merciful. Judgment's never his last word. So Amos comes along. He's from this town called Tekoa, about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. And he found himself called of God to tell people of this impending judgment. Even though things were going well, he told them, if you don't shape up in these areas that I'm pointing out to you, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back to God, there's going to be consequences. And today we're in Amos 4. God continues his stinging indictment against both the north and the south. Remember, divided kingdom. And he speaks to two groups of people here. And the first group of people he speaks to are women. And yes, he calls them fat cows. And we have to deal with that today. See, this is why sometimes pastors like to avoid some of these obscure <laughs> scriptures. The second group of people that he speaks to are worshipers. That's all of us. And in both contexts today, we're going to find some truths about ourselves that I think will benefit us. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Amos chapter 4, may the Holy Spirit help us to discern his truth as we read the word today. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. The sovereign Lord has sworn this by his holiness. The time will come when you be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. You'll be led out through the ruins of the wall. You'll be thrown from your fortresses, says the Lord. Go ahead, offer the sacrifices to the idols of Bethel. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal. Offer sacrifices each morning and bring your tithes every three days. Present your bread made with yeast at an offering of thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so that you can brag about it everywhere. See, they were doing the right things, friends. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do. I brought hunger to every city, famine to every town, but you still would not return to me. I kept the rain from falling when your crops needed it the most. I sent rain on one town and withheld it from another. Rain fell on one field while another field withered away. People staggered from town to town looking for water, but there was never enough. But still, you wouldn't return to me. I struck your farms and vineyards with 
blight and mildew. Locusts devoured all your fig and olive trees, but you still would not return to me. I sent plagues on you, like plagues I sent on Egypt long ago. I killed your young men in war and led all your horses away. The stench of death filled the air, but you still would not return to me. I destroyed some of your cities as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those of you who survived were like charred sticks pulled from a fire, but still you would not return to me. Therefore, <laughs> man, he gave him lots of warnings, didn't he? Therefore, verse 12, I will bring upon you all disasters I have announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. Name of my sermon today is Meeting God. Prepare to meet your God. For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains. He stirs up the winds and reveals his thoughts to mankind. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of heaven's armies is his name. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will help us to apply it correctly. May your Holy Spirit speak to each of us as individuals of anything in our life that needs changed. We don't want to be people of duplicity and hypocrisy. We want to be people of honor, people of authentic relationship with you. Convict us out of your grace and mercy that we might change our ways. Then when we meet you, we'll hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Meeting God, you know, most of us, uh, if we're going to meet somebody of, you know, importance, we inevitably ask ourselves, wow, what should I wear? How should I act? We want to give them the best impression possible. And in our text today, we see that God was going to be meeting with his people Yet his people didn't consider that meeting to be very important. They didn't even prepare for it. They approached God casually. They didn't have the respect and the awe and the reverence or the fear of God the way that they should have. Now, friends, I know that God walks with us. I know that he's our friend. I know that Jesus is that one that sticketh closer than a brother. I know that he says, I haven't called you slaves, I called you friends. But I want you to remember the biblical principle from Genesis to Revelation that God always demands our respect, our reverence, and our pure worship. We're in danger when we just buddy up to God. I really believe that. Like we're just hanging out with another friend. Like when we take advantage of his grace and his mercy. But that's what the people of Israel, people of Judah were doing in Amos' day. They interacted with God like he was just another ordinary person. And God says, hey, prepare to meet with me. And that's something that he says in other parts of the scripture as well too. I know all of us have heard the term come to Jesus meeting. I remember as a youth pastor in the Dalles, Oregon, one time I had a phone call from my pastor who said, Jerry, I need to see you in my office immediately. 
And I knew it was a come to Jesus kind of meeting. I knew there was something that Pastor Kaiser wanted to talk to me about. And it wasn't the weather. It wasn't about how my life was going. It was about my performance, about my, you know, my discernment at that time. But all through the scripture, we see that God fills his word with warnings of how important it is to be ready for the return of Christ. Man, many parables speak of that. The one that's probably most well-known to us is the one of the ten virgins. Remember Jesus told about the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom? They needed to have oil in their lamp. Why? Because they needed to be prepared but some of them didn't prepare. They didn't have enough oil in their lamp. And as a result, when the bridegroom came, they weren't able to join him at the wedding feast. And it's another New Testament reminder that all of us will meet God. When my phone rang in the early hours this morning from the emergency room at the hospital to inform me that Larry Davis has suddenly passed away. I thought, you know, I don't think anyone thought that today was the day that Larry was going to meet God. Now, praise the Lord, Larry had a faith in Jesus. So we grieve, but we grieve with hope. I know that he's with the Lord because he was saved. He was born again. But what I'm trying to say is I'm not just talking about the final judgment because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. I put that in my notes. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, not knowing that one of our own members would wake up in the middle of the night and be having chest pains, and within a few hours, he was meeting with God. He's coming. He's coming soon. We have to be prepared for that coming. His coming is more important, friends, than some kind of eschatology or some kind of a, an event. You and I can approach the throne of grace with assurance that when God comes for us because of our faith in Jesus, we don't need to worry. But we have to remember that on that day of judgment, the Bible teaches us, and you can see it in Matthew chapter 7, there's going to be many people who have done all the right things like we read about. They tie, they came to church, they did all that stuff. And read it for yourself. It's in Matthew chapter 7. I didn't write down the verses. But they say, Lord, Lord, it's me. Didn't I do all these wonderful things for you? And he's going to look and say, I'm sorry, I don't recognize you. Depart from me. Oh. Man, that's sobering. Because they thought they were doing the right things. Just like the people in the day of Amos thought they were doing the right things. Now, I understand that this side of the cross, we see things different. We're living under the new covenant, thank God. Our sins have been judged already. Jesus took our sins to the cross. We will not be judged for our sins. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you accept his death as the atonement of your sin, 
you are then at one with God and you don't need to worry about being judged for your sins. But there's a second aspect that sometimes we as believers fail to remember. There's a second judgment that will affect us. It's called the Bema or Bema, judgment seat of Christ. And it's where you and I will stand before Christ, not to determine whether or not we're his, but to determine what deeds we've done on earth for his kingdom that will merit rewards. We will be rewarded for the deeds that we've done out of our love for God and what he's already done for us. We're saved by faith, not by works. But I believe everyone that's truly saved will be so overwhelmed with the grace and the mercy and the love of God, they will go out and work for Jesus. And those works will be judged. And the Bible speaks about how some of us believers will be given crowns. Some crowns will have jewels in them. Some people will get Baseball caps. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but I do know that it does say that other people's works will pass through the fire of refinement and nothing will be left. So how do we prepare to meet for God? Time we have left. I want to share three things on the back of your program today. Three things in our text that you and I need right now, October 2021, in the United States of America. We need three things. And these things are the exact opposite of what we read about that the people of Israel were doing. So we're going to look at their bad example and learn from it. We're going to learn, hey, we better not do that. Preparing to meet God involves three things. And the first is hearing God's word. You have got to hear God's word. If you're going to be prepared to meet God, you've got to hear from God. You've got to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Man, Pastor Darth did a good job in our journey discussion on Wednesday night talking about how we need to be so in tune with the Spirit. When he tells us to turn left, we just immediately obey and turn left, even if we don't understand it, even if we want to turn right. Because God's got a plan for us. We need to be Spirit-led. You can't be Spirit-led if you don't hear from God. Notice the very first word, the very first three words, (laughs) of Amos 4, listen to me. Now, we learned this a couple weeks ago in Amos 2, the importance of God's word. Hearing God's word, listen to me. Or maybe your translation says, hear this word. But in raw terms, friends, I don't know Hebrew, but I know how to look things up in lexicons and and concordances and dictionaries and commentaries. And in raw Hebrew language, God was basically saying, shut up and listen. I mean, it's really that blunt. It was like a parent calling their child who's either rebelliously talking or purposely ignoring. And the parent gets so frustrated that he said, Shut up and listen to me. God has something to say to us. 
Three times in this scripture, God had said something very important to his people, and three times they ignored him. They didn't listen. Now, how do we listen to God? How do we hear God? I just want to give you some suggestions. First of all, you need to stop all the other noise out there. There's a lot of noise today. And if you don't stop the noise, you won't be able to hear clearly from God. I don't, want, I don't know what noises are, are blaring in your headphones. You know, you've seen people who are actually wearing headphones and you go to greet them or talk to them. They can't even correspond with you because they're so absorbed in whatever's in their headphones. Well, you and I might not have physical headphones on, but we all have headphones on. And we're listening to other noises. What noises are blurring in your headphones to the degree that maybe you're not able to hear God speaking to you? Are you taking time every day in silence and solitude to be still? To hear God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There's a lot of noise out there, friends. You'll never hear from God if those other noises are drowning out his voice. Also, I think another key to hearing God is to see the good. God is working in our hearts and our lives. God is working around the world. Man, this is a great report that our brother Johnson brought to us today about what God's doing among the Muslims in Afghanistan and in Iran. I think, praise God, we need to see the good. So often, we see the negative. And there's actually a book that a, a neurosurgeon wrote about that. Our, our brain, our behavior latches on like Velcro to negative things. That's why negative advertising in the political realm is very, very effective. You'll always rally more people if you're against something because your mind is like Velcro to those things. Now, if it's something good, something great that's happening, our mind is like Teflon. Oh, we acknowledge it, but we don't hang on to it. It's interesting the way God created us. We need to discipline ourselves to see the good, to know the God of the universe is speaking to us as his people today. His warnings, his encouragements, his promises, and his hope, all of it. And then, of course, I've mentioned this so often through the years, but you just need to start a habit. Whether it's five minutes a day or 50 minutes a day, whether it's in the morning or night, that's all irrelevant. But listening to God will not happen on its own. <laughs> you have to take the initiative. You have to build lines of communication. We have got to carve out time dedicated to listening to God. He respects ourself well. And if you're more concerned about all these other voices, it'll affect you. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, God tells the people, you have grown dull of hearing. Lord, help us not to grow dull of hearing. 
I'm concerned. I'm concerned about myself, concerned about our church, concerned about the body of Christ and the, the day that we're living with all the negative noises and all the stuff that's pulling at us. We've got to be careful, friends, not to grow dull of hearing. We've got to hear from the Holy Spirit. And something else before I move out to my second point. We've got to remember that many times God does not speak in the way that we want him to or the way we expect him to. He's a God of surprises. <laughs> He'll speak to you in ways that are way beyond, you know, what you had on your radar. We'll never repent of our sins. We'll never return to God if we don't hear the clear leading and direction. And hearing God's word is one of the ways that we prepare to meet God. The second thing is that we need to honor God in our worship. I'm not just talking about a worship experience like we had this morning. Really, our lifestyle should be one of worship. Okay, here it is. Let's get to it. Get it behind me. After the first three words, listen to me, the scripture says, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women. It's in there. The Bible calls women fat cows. But again, let's remember the importance of context. I mean, why would he do that? He loves women and men equally. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at us through our gender other than to better help us in our gender. Here it is. Amos is using through the Holy Spirit a, a, meta, a metaphor. It's an idiom that would only be known to the people who lived in this day. Now, you know what idioms are? They're words, they're expressions that are only known to that culture. We have a lot of idioms in the American culture. That's why Eugene Peterson decided to paraphrase the Bible. He calls it the message, not a translation. It's a paraphrase into the idioms of the street language of those of us in North America. Wouldn't work very good in Spain. Wouldn't work very good in Hong Kong. Because it's full of those idioms that you and I are accustomed to, but other countries and cultures aren't. This term, you fat cows of Bashan, B-A-S-H-A-N, you fat cows of Bashan, is a metaphorical idiom. And he was commuting something that it's not easy for us to understand, but if you lived eight centuries before Jesus, you would understand it. What God is speaking of is not today what we would call derogatory. We read that and we think, man, that's insulting, that's derogatory. No, he was making a pointed statement in Amos' day. The women were called cows of Bashan, which were, now listen to this, important animals. So first of all, being called a cow wasn't really negative because the cows of Bashan were important cows. 
quality cows. History tells us that during this time, this beef was the most prized possession any farmer could have. These weren't ordinary cows. These were special cows. They were pampered darlings. They would massage them so the meat would be tender. They would get special food, not just the food the regular cows got. These pampered cows, called the cows of Bashan, they had everything they wanted. Now listen, but to the expense of the other animals. Why? Because they provided the most delicious, tender meat that was possible on that day. Now think about that for a moment. What God was saying to the women of Israel is that, man, you've allowed yourself to be like the cows of Bashan. You've been cared for in a way that puts your needs above everybody else's. Didn't we read about that? They're sitting there eating grapes, asking their husband for another drink. That's what it said. They were living in indulgence, in prosperity. God was using a very ancient idiom, a very ancient formula to make his point to the culture at large. Because the culture at this day was spiraling downward. Now listen to this because this is really interesting. The last bastion of, quote, right thinking was their women. They were the ones that were known to not react, but to be able to see a big picture and think things through. Now, Romans 1, and we won't go there, but it's just interesting. Paul does this exact same thing. This ancient formula of writing and communicating. In Romans 1, Paul does the same thing that basically says we're okay no matter how bad the cultural gets unless the women go wrong. They're the last bastion of logical thinking. So when the women... (laughs) spiral down, you know the culture is lost. So in Amos 4, while this was definitely an indictment on women, it really, in a sense, drew in all of culture. As though, wow, the last hope we had, the women themselves had become self-indulgent. And friends, listen, you and I cannot honor God when we are self-indulgent. Relates to worship because you and I will never be able to worship God if everything's about us. Now let me just step on a few toes if I haven't already. Um, One of the greatest sins of the evangelical church today is somehow we've made our worship experience more about us than we have God. 
We've turned worshipers into consumers, particularly in America. And we have people who will find a church that is preaching what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. People will leave and find a church because the music style is what they want. It's not about worshiping God. It's about what am I comfortable with? What do I like? That kind of self-indulgent attitude is exactly what Amos is dealing with here. And what the Holy Spirit might deal with us personally about in some areas. The women in Israel couldn't focus on their worship to God. Why? Because they're too occupied with themselves. We can't honor God when we're self-righteous. Verses 4 and 5, Amos then turns to all the worshipers, like the statements to the women of Israel, and he doesn't have much good to say. He calls out the sham that their worship has become that has become uh, uh, irrelevant to him. Maybe not to them, but to him. Notice how he names two cities, Bethel and Gilgal. I was wondering why that was, because those are important cities. And I thought, well, but that's not the places God had called him to worship. Where had God called him to worship from? Jerusalem. So they were doing all the right things, but they were still disobedient because they weren't doing it in the right place. God said, you come to Jerusalem. This is where you should be worshiping. You can go through all the motions, but you're in the wrong place. You're in Bethel. You're in Gilgal. And that's, again, because the politics of the day had divided the nation. It had divided the people. The politics had become their God. That's why they were at Bethel and Gilgal. Instead of obeying God, they were really obeying Jeroboam. Oh, yeah, the people brought their tithes. They brought their sacrifices. We read that. They brought their free will offerings. But they were missing the whole point. Instead of loving God, they were just loving their traditions, loving their rituals. Man, we need to be careful. We don't celebrate our religious activities more than we celebrate God. He's the one worthy of our praise. These people were self-righteous enough to choose how, when, and where they could worship God. And then they just assumed he'd be okay with it. Real casual approach. But man, God responded empathetically. Notice he says that they're going to be taken away with hooks. I think it's in verse 2. Well, that actually happened. That was prophetic, prophetic. If we continue on the story, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, eventually carried both nations into exile. They were dragged by hooks out of their respective countries. question I just want to pose to myself and to all of us today and those on live stream as well. What exactly are we worshiping? 
Are we worshiping a church, a man, a worship leader, a style of music? Are we worshiping a song? Are we worshiping all these, you know, um, contemporary Christian artists that the, the marketers have spun into our lives through radio and through all that? What are we worshiping? Jesus wants us to worship him and him alone. We can become self-indulgent. We can be careful. Third thing, and I need to hurry on here, the last thing is we need to heed God's warnings. So first of all, you got to hear God's word, be led by the spirit. Number two, you got to honor God and worship. A lot more I could say about that, but we just don't have time. Number three, we need to heed the warnings. When the red lights are flashing, <laughs> it's best to stop. Not to think you can get over the train track before the bars come down. And there's some people that heed God's warnings like that. Oh, I can make it. In Amos 4, 6 to 13, there's five different circumstances that he um, identifies and he says, I did these things to you. Now, remember last week we talked about how the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And you can't say every hurricane is a judgment of God. You just can't do that. That's not correct. That's not good theology. But there are times that God does allow a hurricane to hit a certain part of the earth as a judgment. There, and this is one of those times. It's very clear. He says, I did this. I don't want you to think this is chance happenings, random weather patterns. I brought these things on you to warn you. He gave him lack of bread. He withheld the rain. We read it all. Pestilence came. War came. Young people were killed. He gave them warnings, but they wouldn't listen. Will we listen when God's warning us today? Even though we're under mercy and grace, I believe he's still giving us warnings. And remember, judgment begins here in the house of God. Oh, we're all for the judgments of all those people out there that are on the other side of the line. Go get them, God. Punish them for their sins. But no, it starts here. Book of Hebrews is a book dedicated really to the warnings that the people of God don't fall into spiritual neglect. Last week we talked about free falling. <laughs> and we can neglect our spirit because of all the distractions. And if we're not careful, we can walk away from truth. Heed God's warnings. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, is the way to death. Yikes. That means it's not always a good idea to follow your heart. <laughs> it's not always a good idea just to follow the crowd because it seems like it's the right thing to do. Because it could lead to death. We also look at those who live godly lives. And while they may not be experiencing everything wonderful you know, from an earthly point of view, man, we can learn lessons from them. They're faithfully following God, experiencing his love, his grace, and his mercy. And we can heed God's warnings 
through their example as well. Matthew 7, 13 to 14, don't go this way, head that way. (laughs) There's a way that seems right to man but leads to destruction. There's also a narrow way that leads to God. And that's through complete submission and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's telling us he's coming. He's coming in the clouds. He's going to receive us that great day when he takes the church out of this earth. We understand that. But maybe you'll meet him before that day. I want to follow the examples of others by avoiding the bad and by imitating the good. (laughs) So whether I go in this rapture or if I go because of a car accident, doesn't matter. I want to be ready to meet God. Because there's a day that all of us will stand before him. And we think, well, that's not going to happen for a while. But friends, life is fragile. Life is fragile. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Are you ready? (laughs) Are you ready to meet God? Were you ready to meet God when you came in this building today? That's a a whole nother sermon. But so often we come in to go through the motions, but we really don't come in expecting God to do anything in our life. And that's really a sin too. We should be so excited to get together on Sunday morning and say, what is God going to do in our midst? Are we ready to meet him today? Because worship, friends, is our response for what he's done for us. We need to get involved. We need to lean into this. We need to come prepared. We need to participate. Because if we're not prepared to meet him on a Sunday, then we're probably not going to be ready to meet him whenever he calls us home. God says, with grace and love and mercy, return to me. Heed my warnings Hear my voice and honor me in the worship I've called you to do. Return to me. Heed my warnings. Hear my word and honor me in the worship that I've called you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. You never do anything without first warning us, giving us plenty of time to prepare. And God, I thank you for this word, even though it's a hard word. It's a word that is encapsulated in love and grace. And Lord, we just give you a moment right now to speak to each of our hearts. Of areas of our life that we need to change things that maybe we're doing that we need to stop doing. Things that we're not doing that we need to start doing. Show us if there's things in our life, Lord, that we're just doing out of tradition and ritual. Raising our hands and kneeling and but, but it's not from the heart. 
Forgive us, God, for the way in many aspects we've made it all about ourselves, our comfort, what we like. Lord, we want to be people who please you and do what you like. Help us not to be self-indulgent. Pamper ourselves like the cows of Bashan were pampered. Help us to reach out to the poor and the needy, the destitute. Maybe physically, but a whole lot in our neighborhood are spiritually destitute. They're spiritually poor. May we reach out to them with the good news as well. We ask that you change our hearts, God, to be more like you. When we meet with you, we'll be ready to have you do the work of the Holy Spirit to make us more like you. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. don't want to embarrass you, but I, I care about you can't preach a message like this and not give you that opportunity. So if you're here today and you've never asked Christ into your heart and and you want to make that decision today, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm the only one looking around. I want to pray for you. I'm going to give you a Bible. Give you some things that will help you. Trust all of us have made that decision. Lord, thank you that we're not in this life's battle by ourselves, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word, and you've given us one another. Father, help us to be faithful till that day that we see you face to face. Help us to heed your warning. to apply your word to our life. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's stand together.